Today's episode of Candid Conversations is not suitable for young audiences. Parents, please listen to this podcast without your children present. You may choose to share portions of this podcast with them later, but please listen to it first. The Lord asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? And I said, oh, God, that is not fair. I told you I've repented of this. I'm sorry that I did this, but I have all this facial hair. I've had these surgeries. I'm legally male. Like, there's nothing I can do about this now. And I said, what do you want from me? You know, he reminded me of John chapter 1, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you can't claim to love me and yet reject my creation. In the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, he whispered to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. And that's really what began to free me because I I realized then it was like, no matter what I did, no matter what I called myself, no matter who I said I was, I was never going to be anyone other than who God created me to be. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Would you mind leaving us a review today? By leaving a review and rating, it helps others to find us, and this would be a huge help. Using your favorite podcast platform, go to our show and leave a rating along with a review, and perhaps next week we will mention you on the show. Now, on to our episode. Last week, we started an in-depth conversation with Laura Perry about her path from transgender to transformed. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first part of this conversation when Laura and I discussed the wounds of her past and her gradual physical transformation from female to male. Though all her outward physical dreams were coming true, she was spiritually empty and aching on the inside. Today we will finish this conversation and you will hear how the Lord drew Laura back to himself. His love radically transformed every area of her life. Let's get back to this powerful conversation. I remember getting up some days and going, like, what is the point of life? There's got to be more than this. I have everything I've ever wanted. I I have this identity because I'd gotten to the point where it's like at least everybody else believes it. Like it may never be real, but it's better than being female because I was still at that point. There was still so much pain there. It was like at least everybody else believes it. So this is, you know, the best life's ever going to get. And this is fine. You know, I had a better job by that point, you know, and I, I had, at least I have a good relationship. So I had all these things, but I just was getting, you know, I was like, there's got to be more than this. So there began to be this hunger and this desperation in me for what is the point of life? Yeah. God had been drawing me over the years. I'd been listening to Christian talk radio and it was like, God was just speaking to me. Or, well, it wasn't even speak like he was just softening me toward the idea of him, I think yeah. is what it was. But my mom actually had asked me to make a website for her Bible study. And I didn't have any interest in the Bible study. She was going to pay me some money. And like, I wasn't a great web designer, but I was actually hoping I'd gone to school for it. And so I was hoping to land a big job in that one day. So um, I wanted to work for my portfolio, you know, so. Sure. Was there an, an intentionality behind her asking you to do that? Or was it just like, Laura does websites, she can do this? Right. That's the funny thing. Because if my mom had thought of this 10 years earlier, it would have been her plan. And she was like, yes, this will, sure. you know. But at no, that point, she it honest, wasn't. No, she honestly, I didn't realize at the time how much my mom had changed. Because she had always tried to fix things, you know. And I hear that from so many parents. They're, they're always trying to fix everything. But um, the night that I came out as transgender, I didn't know this till years later, uh, she had thrown herself on the floor and just really wept before the Lord and said, God, I'm so tired of trying so hard. I can't fix this. It's like she had this mentality of she was always trying to fix everything for God. And God said, finally, I've been waiting for you to admit you can't fix this. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So she really surrendered her life in a different way Mm -hmm. and really let the Holy Spirit begin to transform her. And she said she would get on the potter's wheel every day, you know, and let the Lord just transform her. And so for the first time in my life, her focus was off of me because she was always, even though she didn't spend a lot of time with me, she was always trying to fix me. I'd had lots of health problems. And then I was having a lot of spiritual problems later in life. And so it was like, 
I was always this broken doll she could never quite fix, you know? So she was always trying to fix me. But I remember realizing one day that mom wasn't trying to fix me anymore. It was like I could breathe for the first time. I was like, fine. Because I always felt yeah. like she was trying to pull me toward her. You know, it was like, yeah. and I kept Which pushing was pushing away. you further away, yeah. probably. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, I need it. And a lot of parents don't get that. They're trying so hard to cling on. And your child at that age, especially, needs to be independent. And they're trying to find their own way. And they're going to, you know, they may make bad choices, but you can't, you can't hold them to yourself forever. Yeah. yeah. You know? And so uh, she really had let go. In fact, there were times that she got tempted to try and fix it again. And the Lord said, uh, Francine, only one of us is going to work on her. If you want to work on her, I'll go sit down. But if you want me to work on her, you go sit down, you get in the word, and you work on your relationship with me, and I will work on Laura. And that's a promise Mm -hmm. he made to her. Mm -hmm. You know, and God still uses us sometimes. Like he ended up using my mom. He used my aunt and he compelled her to send me that email. But I think we get um, our own ideas sometimes and we want to chase people down. And if I can just tell them this, if I can just do that, if I can say this, you know, but the reality is when people are really rejecting the truth, they don't have a receptive heart to hear that. And we can't do anything to fix the soil. You know, the parable of the sower and the seeds. Yeah, We can't fix the soil. Only God can do that. So as I'm working on the website, my mom really, she just didn't know anything about websites and she really just wanted somebody to to do the website. She didn't know how to do it. She knew that I did. That was really kind of the bottom line. And she didn't even ask me to do this, but I had this idea that I was going to summarize the lessons for the website. So when people clicked on a lesson, they would know um, what the lesson was about. And so I started to read the lessons and I was really just kind of skimming through at first but things would jump out at me and I'd be like, wait, what is that? Like, I've never heard that. And I would get curious because all I remembered was God's rules and these stories that didn't make any sense, you know, but I really had not seen the big picture of the Bible. So describe maybe a little bit what your relationship with God at that point looked like. When the website stuff comes up, where would you say you were sort of on a plotted graph? Maybe somewhere in the middle, like I I wasn't um, really pursuing God, but every once in a while it was just maybe having these ideas about God or just for an example, I had um, right before this, maybe about a year before, uh, for whatever reason, I don't even know why I felt like I should pray about this job. I I really needed a job. And so I thought I would pray uh, and ask God to help me get a job. And I wanted this one particular job. I was really excited and I really thought I was going to get this job and it fell through and I was really kind of angry. And I was like, God, I was praying. Like I asked you for this job and you know, cause all the I genie knew, in the bottle, right? Yeah. I didn't understand <laughs> prayer and God's will and all of this. Yeah. And, but I ended up getting a job that not only did I like so much better, but it was a great job. It didn't make a ton of money, but it was actually a really, really good job for me. But God had a great purpose in that too. But I actually found out a year or two later that the job that I wanted so bad to begin with, they closed that office. They were all out of work. But at this job, this was the last job I had before I left the lifestyle. And my, my boss was a Christian. And so one day, this was right around the time I started on the website. So it was like all this kind of culminated at once. And she pulled me and a coworker into uh, the conference room one day and was having a meeting, there was all kinds of stuff going on in the office. There was a lot of gossip and just kind of some um, bad stuff going on um, relationally in the office. And she just looked at me and the other girl and she said, I don't know about y'all, but I'm a Christian. And just pause for just a second. I don't think she was really looking for an answer. It wasn't (laughs) like she wasn't asking if we were a Christian. Right. Um, But in that moment, I didn't know it was God at the time. I just thought it was something I remembered. But I really think the Lord was speaking to me. But he reminded me of the verse. Um, it came so clearly back to my head. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. And it, it just pierced my heart. And I'm like, I had been denying Christ for years. Why yeah. all of a sudden did this? But yeah. the fear of God really came over me. I just, I remember my heart was kind of pounding. And I looked at the other girl and it was like, you know, what do we say? And we both kind of shrugged our shoulders and I nodded my head. Yes, like I'm a Christian, you know. But I think in that simple admission and not denying him, I think God started to turn up the heat a little bit. Mm. It's like he began to work. Sometimes I think I'm just these little yeses, just these, you know, God will bring these things to us. And it's like just this little step. And so as I started working on the website and I started, it's like he started to reveal himself to me. 
And I just got curious. And so I started calling my mom and asking her questions about what she was studying. I was so curious and I just called and asked her a question. I thought that was the end of it. You know, I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. Thanks for the information. But the next day I had all these questions. So I called her again and then I called her again. So I found myself calling her every single day after work. And so, you know, all these years of me hating her, not wanting anything to do with her. And the only relationship we'd had over these about seven years at that point was um, we'd go to dinner once in a while. I really didn't want much to do with my parents, but I was trying to keep the peace. I was really kind of placating them, to be honest. Yeah, you know. Sure. But um, all of a sudden, I really wanted to talk to my mom, and I had this desire to know what she was teaching. And over that six months, God really began to reveal himself to me. And for the first time in my life, I began to see that God was really trustworthy, that he was faithful. I was blown away by the fact that he had made all these promises to Israel, both for good and for bad. Like, if you will follow me, you will have these blessings. And if not, you will have, and he told them that they would go into Mm. captivity and he warned them. And you see this, like how this played out, but also this promised Messiah. What really got me though, was when he had made all these prophecies about how they would be scattered all over the world, but then he would bring them back into the land and restore them. And I was like, you're telling me God made these promises thousands of years ago. And then we've seen him bring them back into the land which was such a miracle, you know, after what, two or 3000 years. I mean, it was mind blowing to me and I could see God's faithfulness to them. And I thought if God was that faithful to Israel, maybe he'd be faithful to me. Hmm. And I, so I, I called mom one day and I said, look, mom, what's happened to me? Six months ago, I was 180 degrees from where I am now. I said, all I want is to hear the word of God. And that was not like me at all. I had not wanted to hear the word of God ever really in my life. I didn't even want to do my quiet times as a kid. I'd memorized all this scripture because I was in Christian school, but I'd not really had an interest. But for the first time in my life, it was like I had this hunger. And um, my mom said, well, I've been praying that God would draw you back like a magnet. And I was like, wow, (laughs) like God had really answered her prayer. Yeah, And then I was really curious too what had happened to my mom because I really saw, it was like God just opened my eyes one day and the scales fell off. And I thought about the six months of conversation and I said, mom, what's happened to you? Because you're not the mother I grew up with. And she told me how she had been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking I wanted what she had because for the first time in my life, She was filled with faith, with peace. I remember the peace in my mom that she'd never had when I was growing up. I can still picture her face from growing up. There's just the stress and the anxiety and just just feeling so overwhelmed. I'm like, go away, just leave me alone for a bit, just get away. There was so much stress and anxiety in her life. And to see this peace, I knew that something supernatural had happened. So... I went home that night and I began to confess my sins and I just began to, Mm. and I was asking God, I really wanted to be clean. I was like, bring back to mind everything I've ever done. Like I want to know every sin I've ever committed. And I just wanted to like, get it all out. Like Martin Luther. Right. (laughs) And as I did the, the shame and the the guilt, I mean, I think it was a godly shame. This wasn't like, Mm. but I just, Mm. um, Mm. conviction. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Just the conviction over what I'd done had just began to overwhelm me. And I remember at one point, I remembered when I was praying to Satan, asking Satan to keep people from coming to know Jesus. And I thought, why would God want me? You know, I was working against his kingdom, you know, and I just began to really doubt that God wanted to save me. And I remember feeling really, really empty because I'd confessed everything I could possibly think of. And, but I felt completely empty. Hmm. And I, For the next couple of days, I thought, you know, there's no hope for me. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. And I was just restless. And I was just wrestling with all these things. And I kept thinking, like, I want God again. Is God done with me? Um, Has God just completely cast me away? And I was riding down a glass elevator at work. And I was looking out over the city. And I, I remembered that when I was 13 years old at summer camp one year, I had dedicated my life to be a missionary. So that was kind of my mindset, like maybe I could be a missionary for God again. And so I said, God, I want to serve you again, but I don't know where to start. And I was watching this couple across the street 
And God said, start with them. And I was like, what? No, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, I didn't mean now. I meant like, I mean, like in the future, like I need to be trained first. I don't know the Bible. Like, like, I mean, I had a bunch of head knowledge, but like, I knew that I was really ill-equipped and my heart started to pound. I was like, I didn't even know what God meant. First of all, that's all he said was start with them. I'm like, what does God mean? And so I went outside and I'm trying to blow it off. Like, first of all, I've never really heard God talk to me. Not that I knew anyway. And uh, so I went outside for my break and I'm thinking, you know, by the time I get out there, they're going to be way down the street and I will have missed them. And I'm just not going to worry about it. But they were, I looked and they were sitting in the bus stop right in front of the building. I was like, of course. It's like God had packaged yeah. them right there for me. Yeah, right. And uh, I felt, well, you know, by the time I get over there and I start talking and then the bus will come and it'd be really awkward, you know, and I'm like, I'm just not going to worry about it. So I went back in the building. My heart was just pounding and pounding and pounding. I mean, this is so weird. Like, what is happening to me? Yeah. And I knew because I'd never had this experience before. Like I knew I had to go talk to them. I went back and forth. I went into the building four times and I couldn't get any peace. And I was like, and I finally got to this point was, it was like, if I make an absolute fool of myself, I'm going to be a fool for Jesus, you know? So I was like, whatever, God. And I was almost kind of mad. I was like, you know, you're asking me to do something so dumb and I'm going to make a fool of myself, but whatever, at least I will know that I had obeyed, you know? Yeah. So I walked up beside the bus stop and as soon as I walked up beside them, they just both turned and stared at me like they were just waiting on me to say something. And it was like, hi, oh. <laughs> uh, I, I never do this, but, and I didn't even know what to say. I didn't know really what God wanted. But as I stepped out there in faith, he began to feed me one word at a time. And I said, I feel like God wants me to pray with you. Is there anything I can pray with you about? And I felt kind of stupid because I thought it would be really dramatic. Like I'd seen the movies and I thought he was going to tell me everything going on in their life. And I was going to say, you know, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and I know God does that be sometimes. be a prophet all of a sudden. Right, yeah. right. But I, but I felt kind of like, oh, I've missed what God had, you know. But tears started streaming down their faces and they were stunned. They said they were like, we can't believe God sent somebody to pray for us. They're like, yes, we just moved to town yesterday. Said we don't know where we're going to live. We don't have a job. We don't. I mean, this they needed everything. And And in retrospect, I wish I'd have helped them a little more. But I was really so stunned by all this, too. And I was like, well, okay, let's pray. And I was like, wait, I don't even know how to pray. But in that moment, when I realized that God had, I mean, it was like, if anybody in the whole city needs prayer, it's these two, you know? (laughs) And I knew that God had sent me. And it's like, God's not done with me yet. Mm. I was like, at that moment, I was like, God, I'm completely yours. Like, whatever you want in my life, I don't care. I just want to be yours. And it's funny. It's that little event is almost like the revalidation back in the other direction, the same way that. You know, you stumbled upon the YouTube videos mm-hmm. that showed you, hey, transgender is a real thing, and this validates how you feel and how you're looking. This was your revalidation that God was faithful. He had not abandoned you. Right. You know, your confessions didn't fall on deaf ears and that he was working. I mean, that's just an amazing picture there. Yeah. And it was so funny as I, I started to pray and I thought, wait, I don't even know how to pray, but I'm going to start, you know. And so as I did... Um, I started swaying back and forth like they were sitting. If they, if we'd all been standing, I think I'd have pulled us all to the ground. The Holy <laughs> Spirit came on me with such power. I could feel the Holy Spirit through my body. It was the weirdest experience. It was like I felt like I was being washed from the inside out. And after I said amen, I, I really felt like light was just bursting forth from my chest. It was such a radical, radical transformation. And instantly, all these scriptures started coming back to my mind. And I started thinking of hymns and all these things. Like I knew in that moment that I was a brand new creature. I was like, wow, this is what it's like to be born again. I thought, why didn't I know this before? Like I'd heard of this all my life and I never knew what it meant to be born again. So I called my mom to tell her what happened. I said, mom, you're never going to believe what happened. And she knew from that moment, she knew I had been changed just from that phone call. And I went back to my desk and I turned off whatever I'd been listening to before. And I turned on Christian radio. All I wanted to hear was um, Christian music. And I just began praising God. You know, I'm listening to hymns that I grew up with that I never wanted to listen to again. It was like everything that I'd heard all my life that I'd rejected and not, I hadn't known this good God. 
but all of a sudden everything was real. And it was like, I became alive. And that's what a lot of people don't get. They're trying so hard to be good for God, you know, and there's a famous quote that's been attributed to various people. I don't know who originally said it, but Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Yeah. You know, I really had been brought from death to life and I knew that I was transformed and I didn't know what to do about being transgender though. It was like, I was so shocked that God had saved me and I was still living as a man and it was confusing, but I just had this hunger for God. And I didn't know that the ladies in my mom's Bible study were praying for me and they were praying that I would have this ravenous hunger for the word. I told them later, I said, y'all don't know how much God answered that prayer. I was so hungry for the word that I was listening to either my audio Bible or some kind of Christian teaching or Christian radio literally all day long, every single day. I said, I couldn't get enough of it. And eventually I started going home at night and I was listening to it. And um, I said, all I wanted um, was to hear the word. And I read at one point, I read the book Pilgrim's Progress. I had remembered this when I was a little kid. I had seen the little cartoon movie and I thought, I remember really liking that. And so I had watched the little video, but then I, I was compelled by the Lord to go get a copy of this. I drove in a blinding rainstorm on my day off one day to go to this little used bookstore and got a copy of this book. And I went home and read like half of it. And I remember the conviction coming over me and like I, the fear of the Lord really began to hit me. I was like, mm. wow, being a Christian is different than what I thought, you know? Because I had all these great feelings and I was I was listening to God a lot, but I was really like, I wasn't living in that eternal mindset, if that yeah. makes sense. You know, I was still living for the world and for the things I wanted here, but I was really on fire for Jesus in a sense. And I was really like, I was sharing my faith with all my friends. I was, I was still a smoker at the time. So I was sharing Jesus out at the smoke hole and I was telling yeah. everybody like, yeah, I was so on fire for the Lord. And yet I was still living for the flesh in a lot of ways, you know? Like the Lord was bringing so much conviction and I didn't know what to do about it. That book really began to pierce my heart about what did it mean to follow Christ? God had used so much scripture over the next few months and I was beginning to memorize scripture and it was just beginning to haunt me. And, you know, people will try to twist this verse or that verse and they'll say, oh, it really means this. And in the original, blah, 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 you know, people can find a way to make it say whatever they want, you know, but the reality is when the Holy Spirit really got a hold of me, the whole Bible was telling me I couldn't be transgender, you know, but clearly God loved me. Clearly God wasn't done with me yet. He kept bringing me along and um, he kept uh, convicting me little by little and I didn't know what to do about it, though. I finally, one day, I was so desperate. I wanted the Lord with all my heart. And I threw myself on the floor one night and I said, God, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to miss anything. My mom had been talking to me about the judgment seat of Christ. That's what she happened to be studying in her Bible study. And I was terrified. And I said, God, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What do you want from me? And the Lord asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? Hmm. And I said, oh. God, that is not fair. I told you I've repented of this. I'm sorry that I did this, but I have all this facial hair. I've had these surgeries. I'm legally male. Like, there's nothing I can do about this now. And I said, what do you want from me? You know, he reminded me of John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you can't claim to love me and yet reject my creation. And I thought I was being condemned because I was not going to go back to being female. Like, I was either going to be a man of God or, you know, then there was no hope. But in the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, he whispered to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. And that's really what began to free me because I, I realized then it was like, no matter what I did, no matter what I called myself, no matter who I said I was, I was never going to be anyone other than who God created me to be. But there was freedom in that because I had tried so hard to define myself and I realized that it was fake that it wasn't real. And I was really beginning to be tortured by all of this because I had to reinvent my life all the time. Now that no one but my family and my partner knew that I was trans, it was like when I would tell a story about childhood, it was like, wait, I couldn't have been a um, in Girl Scouts. I had to have been in Boy Scouts. I couldn't have played softball. I had to have been baseball. And then one time I got caught in a really big lie telling my boss about an ex-boyfriend. And I, it didn't dawn on me what I was saying. Nobody knew that my partner was trans. So Um, I was supposedly a straight man that had a wife. And she said, Jake, do you swing both ways? And I was like, what? 
<laughs> you know, like, well, and it, I remember the alarm bells going off and the frustration. I was so angry that day. Like, I'm so sick of this, you know, yeah. and I was so sick of all the fakeness. And there's mm. um, people don't realize the hell that this life is. There was so much pain. Every time I thought about going back to being a girl, there was no way I wanted to do that. So I knew that God still saw me as Laura, but I didn't know how to get back there, nor did I really want to. And so I kept thinking of how I was going to fix this. And I kept trying to pretend like I'd never been trans. Well, maybe I can just, like, I'm a new creature now, you know? And I remember twisting the, there's a verse in, I forgot where it is, but uh, Paul says to remain in the state you are, basically I'm paraphrasing, but like, you know, if uh, he's talking about if you are a servant, then remain as a, a servant, unless you can get yeah. your free, or if you're single, um, then remain single. So I was like, well, I was yes, saved right. as a man. I'm going to remain a man, uh, you know? So I kept trying to justify this, but one night, and I got really mad at God. I said, what am I supposed to do? Just show up in a dress at work and say, just kidding. I'm really a girl. Sorry. I'm sorry. I've lied to y'all for four years. I really cared about these people. These were my friends, you know, and I, I was really kind of angry. But um, I remember one night I was watching um, this preacher talk about like all this end times kind of stuff and um, signs that are being fulfilled in the earth and stuff. And I thought, well, maybe Jesus is going to come back like any moment. And I will so just I don't get out have of to all do this. It. Right. <laughs> yes. I'm like, please just come back. Please come back. You know, and um, he reads this verse out of Revelation. I think it's 18. Um, where he's talking about Babylon and he says, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins, unless you share in her plagues for her sins have reached into heaven. And it talks about the judgment coming on her. And when I heard come out of her, my people, it was like the Lord hit me in the chest with a sledgehammer. It just broke everything open. I literally fell out of bed on the floor and just cried out with all my heart. And I said, God, I don't know how to change. I don't know how to fix this. What am I supposed to do? I was so miserable at that point. Um, and God had really opened my eyes to the agenda and how the LGBT community was persecuting Christians. And I was so in love with Jesus at this point. And he'd given me a vision one day of people walking along this white picket fence, which didn't make sense at the time. I really, he told me later, it was like, that was the point. It wasn't supposed to be easy to walk on, you know, and he was pushing people off one side or the other. And he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he reminded me of the verse that says, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. And it was like, you cannot continue to live in this identity and support this lifestyle and follow me because this is against me. And so I, I just had all this going on and I had so much conviction. I can't even begin to describe the amount of verses that were beginning to convict me and all the things that he'd been bringing to me for months. In fact, I was so convicted the American Family Association started targeting um, Target and they uh, made a boycott against Target because of their bathroom policies, because they were letting anybody go into any restroom just however they felt. And even I knew that like it wasn't good to let a grown man go in the bathroom with a little girl. That's not going to end well. So um, I signed the, the boycott Target pledge when I was still living in the lifestyle. So but I was doing anything I could to try and get out of this. I was really desperate and I just began for about the last month or so, I began to beg the Lord with all my heart just to take my life. I saw absolutely no way out. There was no way I could go back to being a girl. It was so painful. And every time I thought about it, it was just like a knife going through my soul. I felt like I was in this deep, dark pit I couldn't get out of. And for that last month, the Lord really withdrew his presence. I had been so close to the Lord, but he withdrew it. And I cannot even describe the despair in the, just the, I felt like I was in the wilderness and I was so dry and so thirsty and I was so hungry for God. And I felt like I was in this deep, dark pit that I couldn't get out of. And I could see the light at the top, but I couldn't see any way to get out. You know, it was too high for me. And Jesus reminded me of the verse that says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I remember thinking, like, what if I hang on to this? Because I can't see any way out. I really could not even conceive of being a girl again. But what if I hang on to this and I lose it all for eternity? 
I really began to be afraid. I had a clear vision of Jesus getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down into this pit I was in, and he said, do you trust me? I knew he was asking me to walk away from everything. And, you know, he didn't tell me what the next few years were going to look like. He didn't tell me how to fix my life. He just asked me to, just like the disciples, he asked me to come and follow him. Just leave it all behind. And it was like, oh, you know, this was a huge decision. But I said, okay, Lord, I'm willing. And I have no idea on this earth how I had that kind of faith yet. God had been building my faith and he had been, I had all these encounters with the Lord where he had been building my faith and showing me that Mm. I could trust him over those, it was about a year and a half. And it's like, I I use a picture a lot of, you know, and it's from the Bible story where Jesus um, went and uh, found the lost lamb and carried it home. It's interesting. I use the both stories of the prodigal son and the lost lamb. And in the prodigal son, there was um, nothing that the father could do to bring the son home. You know, parents try so hard to rescue their children. There was nothing they could do. But the shepherd went and got the sheep and carried the little lamb on his shoulders, you know, mm. and carried it home. And really, that's what it was like. I just, as God began to, and there was so much pain. It was so hard the first time that I went shopping for female clothes, I cried hysterically and it was so painful. And I remember my partner being so confused. And I mean, thankfully he was, God had sort of prepared us. Um, I think we knew that we weren't going to be together forever. That last year or two, he wanted to go live with his brother in this really remote part in New Mexico. And I had no desire to go. And I was wanting to get into mission work. I knew that I, God had called me into missions. And so I wanted to get into ministry of some kind and we were just on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I said, you know, we knew that we were being separated anyway. So he was really letting me go, but he was confused. Like, why are you doing this if this is so painful? But it was like, because I have to follow Jesus. So when I came home, he, I knew that he wanted me to move home with my mom and dad, which was the last thing on earth I wanted to do at 33 years old, but I had no idea the healing that he was going to bring out of that. And so as I I moved home and I stopped wearing the men's clothes and I looked probably pretty androgynous at first, but I was trying, you know, but it was like, it was so painful. And I remember feeling like I was completely dead and it was like, Lord, you know, I've done this for you, but this is so painful. I can't handle this. And I finally, though, um, the first day I came home, I went back to my apartment that night and I thought, maybe I've made a mistake. This is too hard. I can't do this. And my partner opened the door and hugged me and I felt like I was in the arms of a stranger. It was weird. I'd called him my wife for eight years, you know, and this had been my home. And we were in the uh, living room watching a movie and I felt like I was in a hotel room. I said, God, this is so weird. What's happened? And he said, I have cut the cord on your old life and you are not going back. I remember I was so terrified. And first of all, I knew he was right because it was like it had been completely severed. And there was a point where Israel, my mom had been teaching me this about six months earlier. When God wanted Israel to go into the promised land, it was too overwhelming. The giants were too big and they thought there's no way they could do this. They saw the blessings that that God had, you know, the big fruit and everything, but they were too afraid. And they wanted to go back to Egypt where at least they had the food that they wanted, you know, and they Um, At least they were taken care of. And God slammed the door on him and he said, you are not going back to Egypt. You're going to die out here in the wilderness. I had heard that. And so when God said, you are not going back, I began to really be afraid. And I thought, please don't let me die out here in the wilderness. Don't leave me. Like, I'll go in, whatever you ask, I'm going. You know, I I don't want to be out here for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And so um, I was like, whatever you want. And I think it was that after uh, about two and a half days later, it was really three days and three nights that I really just felt completely dead. Um, The afternoon of about the second day, my mom brought all these cards. I was just sobbing and sobbing. And I really was at that point. I almost went back anyway. It was like, even I knew what God had said, but this was too hard. It was too painful. I literally had been crying for two days straight. I was in so much pain and I thought this is just more than I can bear. But she said, I've been wondering when the right time to bring this to you was. And I said, what? And I look and she has this basket full of these cards these women had written me. 
and they hadn't just like signed their name. Most of these women had poured out their heart to me. And um, they had told me how proud they were of me, how much they were praying for me. They were so excited to meet me. On top of that, they had raised over $1,600 to buy me a new wardrobe. And I was like, Mom, these women don't even know me. And um, I was so stunned by their love for me. And I thought, well, at least I can't disappoint them. So at the very least, I have to, you know, I have to show up for Bible study. And when I showed up for Bible study the next morning with these women that had prayed for me for so long, they embraced me and surrounded me with so much love. I remember them just, it was like the, the reception of the prodigal son. You know, they fell on me and just wept and kissed me, you know, and it was like, they were so happy for me and they just embraced me like one of the women. And I remember the transgender lie just sort of breaking off of me, you know, and it was like, I didn't want to be a woman at that moment. I didn't, well, I say I didn't love being a woman at that moment. There was still a lot of pain there, but it was like, it was like the scales fell off and I just began to see that I was a woman all along. I knew it was just painful. And so the way that these women received me, I was so stunned that they just accepted me like one of the women I'd only been out of the lifestyle like two or three days. I was still in this identity shock kind of. But the next day, my mom took me shopping uh, for some women's clothes. And I couldn't believe the difference in a couple of weeks earlier when I tried to buy women's clothes. And I just cried hysterically. I was really picking out some really feminine things. And my mom was, she was like, you don't, she was trying to be really uh, helpful, I think. But she was like, you don't have to buy like the most feminine stuff. You know, it's, you can wear this other. I was like, no, I really want to. God was just doing this incredible miracle in my heart. And um, I really wanted to be uh, to be all out for Jesus. And so I just began to buy the most feminine things I could. And I noticed that the more that I was embracing my femininity, the more healing he was bringing. And the more I began to forgive my mother and we began to heal. And that year, actually, I lived with him for about two years. And it was so incredibly healing as God um, used them And also I got very involved in the church and I just became part of the body of Christ. And my identity became less and less about, you know, what I felt or whatever Um, that just began to fade away. And I began to use it as such a testimony. So I would go up to people on the street and I'd start talking about Jesus because I just had this evangelist heart. And I would say, the reason I look so weird is because I used to be transgender, but Jesus has set me free. People look at me so weird, but I just used it as as a testimony. And then I remember one day um, when I was saying that, because I'd said that all the time. And this one guy looked at me like, you don't look weird. And I was like, I kind of stopped for a minute. I was like, wow, like I just look like a girl now. (laughs) It was like all that had faded away. And so it was such a supernatural work that God did in this healing that he brought, you know, and I didn't figure out how to fix myself, but the more that I submitted to him and that first year that I was home and my parents didn't make me get a job or anything, they were so gracious. They gave me time to really heal. And I spent so much time in the word and so much time at the church and not just being busy at the church, but I really like, I really began to be part of the body. And so it really was incredibly healing to me. And so over the years, as God began to peel away these layers and he began to heal me. And today, like, I have absolutely no desire to go back. I've been set free completely of all those feelings. I know there are people that still struggle after many years. You know, we're not always guaranteed in this life that we won't have struggles. I mean, we're going to have struggles in this life. Um, We're promised the opposite. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, um, In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, and we may be entering some very hard times as Christians. So whether your struggle is internal or whether it's external, we're going to have struggles and we're going to have trials. But the Lord has been so faithful through all of this. And there's other ways that I have struggled, you know. So even though those feelings have been gone, it's not like my life is totally perfect now and it's just easy. And, you know, there are hard times. But Jesus has been so faithful to me and he's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. He has just done this great work in me that I could have never done myself. But in truly surrendering to him, he has done what man says is impossible. They say that it's impossible to go back. You can't ever not be trans. You know, it's who you are. But Jesus can do what is impossible with man. Mm. 
you tell your story so well, and of course it's your story, or rather uh, the Lord's story through you. But, you know, one of the things I keep thinking in the back of my head was, you know, as you were talking about your transition from Laura to Jake, we talked a little bit about like what kept you going because you kept having those moments of fear and doubt that it wasn't true, Mm. it wasn't real. And I guess my question on the flip side would be, as you're sort of growing in this process of a love and a knowledge for the Lord and his word and this, you know, what we would call a process of sanctification, what were the things that were keeping you going there? And what were the the fears and the doubts and the questions that kept recurring with you in your Christian walk? And even do those still continue to this day? Yeah. What was keeping me going was just the, the, the radical transformation in my life that I could see that following Jesus really was worth all the pain and everything that had happened. There's a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians that says, I has not seen nor ear has heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man the things that God has for those that love him. And I always thought that was just heaven one day. But really in this life, he has given so much back to me. There's another one that says, um, where Jesus said that he who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or wife or lands for my sake, shall receive in this life a hundredfold the same things. In fact, I've seen God do that so much in my life that I have received so much more than I ever gave up, not in material things, but in relationships and joy and peace in these things that I have. It's just been incredible to see what God has done. And he's taken care of everything that I have needed. It's just been worth everything, every moment of pain. And that's what keeps me motivated is to see that, and not just my life, but to see the lives that he has transformed through my story or through me just sharing the gospel with people. That's what keeps me motivated. Just seeing lives transform. There was one day where I got a chance to share with a guy and the Lord just wanted me to go talk to this random guy. And it was a bit of a long story how the Lord worked out this perfect timing. And I I asked him, uh, I said, do you know if something happened to you tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven or hell? And he said, why did you ask me that? And I said, well, I felt like the Lord wanted me to ask you that. This is just a random guy on the street. And he had literally been walking around all day since 430 or so in the morning. He had overdosed and nearly died um, that night. He was completely out. And he had been walking around all day asking, like, what had happened if I had died? Yeah, what would happen? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And then here he is confronted with a question from a person. Right. So I got to share the the gospel with him, you know, and it's those kind of things. So what motivates me is seeing that lives can be absolutely transformed by Jesus Christ and by the power of the gospel. So now what does life look like? Are you, are you, you have a ministry, you're going out, you're speaking, you're, you're doing the work of an evangelist. You know, what is, what is sort of this day to day look like for you? Well, I work full time uh, for First Stone Ministries um, here in Oklahoma City. And uh, we are a ministry of sexual redemption, we call it. So we help anybody that's struggling with, uh, it might be unwanted same sex attractions or gender issues, but it might also be pornography addiction, um, might be people that have um, had an affair or just relational brokenness. We have a lot of people that have just, they've been through abuse maybe or for whatever reason. Uh, So we do counseling and support groups and things, but um, we go and speak a lot. And then I was also in a documentary called In His Image from the American Family Association. And uh, we've done some screenings and things where we'll go and participate in Q&As and things like that. We'll speak at conferences. So that's really the primary role that God has had me in is speaking and writing. Uh, I have a book as well called Transgender to Transform that details my story. And then also um, just really my biggest heart, though, all of this for me is a platform for the gospel. I'm really an evangelist at heart. I love to share the gospel. And so that's really my motivation. Well, and, and you know, developing sort of a public persona, one would assume that objections and voices of opinion come into play. And so what are some of those objections that you've heard from people, you know, most likely from the LGBTQIA community? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of them, I don't think know what to do with my story. I've gotten a lot of hate and stuff. And, but some of them uh, just try to invalidate that. Say, oh, you were never yeah. really trans. I'm like, yes. You just have no idea, sure. you know, um, what it was really like. I, I wanted to absolutely erase the existence of Laura, And, but It's like the Lord can overcome all of that. But even in those moments, this is what the Lord has taught me. 
um, in those moments, there's such peace. And when people are yelling and screaming at me, I've had such pity and compassion on them. And there's a verse that talks about how um, in the time of trouble, he will hide us in the secret of his pavilion and he will um, keep us in his tabernacle in the secret of his presence. Another verse says, so it's like in those moments when we are just being yelled at and God will give us the grace for whatever we need to endure. Um, just a, a quick example. I had a, a neighbor that I was trying to share the gospel with one time and he was just yelling and screaming at me to get off his porch. And I remember just having such compassion for him. And I've actually prayed for him a lot since then. I'm like, maybe God just wanted me to pray for him, you know, um, at the very least. So, but you never know. Jesus said that if people hate us, that it's actually him that they hate. They hated him first. He said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But in that, um, we're promised that if we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glory. And when we suffer, Jesus is glorified, you know? So I I get a lot of inspiration too from uh, the 10 Booms. I don't know if you're familiar with Corey 10 Boom uh, from World War II. Yeah. and anybody, I, I encourage every Christian to read The Hiding Place. Such an incredible book. And um, it's so encouraging of what it really looks like to to glorify Christ in the midst of suffering. And we're, we're promised an eternity to be out of suffering. This life is a vapor. And we're, we're to lose our lives for Christ. But if we will truly lose our life um, in that, he promises we will save it. Well, and you bring up that issue, and, 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 and I know that you've had conversations and debates with people who identify with the Christian community, but also with the LGBTQIA community as well. They sort of try and say that they can live both. What God wants is for me to be happy and these sorts of things. How do you sort of engage with them, and how do you sort of tease out what they're dealing with and, and kind of bring to light some of these things? Well, I think the most important thing is to be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, because he knows what they need to hear, most importantly, because there's no cookie cutter right answer. But really, it's about um, like, what does it really mean to follow Christ? You know, if if you are part of his body, then you are not your own. You're bought right. with a price. Yes. But I think the reality is a lot of times I just start with the gospel and what it really means to follow Christ. Because when they're arguing all these things, a lot of times they don't really know Christ. They have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. They claim they're a Christian. I claimed I was a Christian at various times in my life. And, and then I would go back and, but I didn't know God. Just like uh, the girl that I had the debate with, it was clear to me that she didn't really know Jesus. And I think that's where a lot of them are. Um, but people that really want to argue the scriptures, you know, let's, let's go and look at it because God's word is true. But like I said earlier, I think the reality is that people, they hear what they want to hear. They will find ways to distort and twist the word But when the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, the whole Bible began to speak to me. I was convicted by so many verses that were telling me I couldn't live this lifestyle. Mm. And I remember one in particular um, where I think it's 1 Corinthians where he says, Do you not know that all of us who are in Christ are part of his body and we are members of his body? And he that is joined to a harlot is one flesh with her. So in other words, like if you are... If you're joined to a harlot, if you're in any kind of sexual sin, you are attaching that and bringing that into the body of Christ. You're defiling the body of Christ. I remember being so convicted by that. Mm. Because even though I was with an opposite sex person, so we were still heterosexual kind of either way, um, but we were still in a lot of sexual sin. you know. And I was still in this identity that mars the image of God. Isaiah 29 15 to 16 says, Woe unto them that seek deep to uh, hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who sees us and who knows us? He said, Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the thing that is made say of him that made it, you made me not? Or shall the thing that is framed say of him that framed me, you had no understanding? Like, Are we going to say that um, what God has made is um, like he didn't know what he was doing? To say that we know better than God is the ultimate sin. People try to say that transgenderism, you know, God, God just wants us to be happy and he wants us to be our true selves or, but to say that, you know, better than God is the ultimate pride and it's the ultimate sin. And we all have that pride in some form or another. We've all gone our own way, but this is just one of the ways it's an extreme outward expression of that. 
Mm. Um, but we've all gone our own way. And the point is that we all need to go God's way. Well, help us think a little bit clearly as we're thinking as a body of believers, as a church, how do members of a church who are live what they call a heteronormative lifestyle, how do we help the community who, and I want to be careful here because there's, I think there's uh, two categories here probably. There's, there's those who are living the lifestyle without struggle in terms of they pursue it in its entirety. They have no desire for God in, in some respect. So there's a level of dealing with the community in that sense. But then there's those who genuinely struggle with it and are at, at odds. Uh, perhaps they grew up in a Christian home such as yourself, and they don't know how to deal with their emotions and their feelings and what leads them and guides them. How do we deal with each of those communities uh, as a church in a loving and uh, helpful way? Yeah, I think um, the gospel is the answer, especially for those that are, well, really for both categories, um, (laughs) because they may, I I think both are lost, right? For those that really don't know Christ, for those that are just lost and they're out and proud and whatever. And a lot of times they've been really angry at the church. I was really angry with God. There is a point where they're not as receptive, sometimes just praying for them, um, ask the Lord for open doors, but uh, sometimes they just don't have listening ears and they are trampling on the truth. And that's what in the parable of the sower and the seeds, the seed fall, that falls along the path is the, the one that's snatched out of their heart. But it's on the path. It's where they're walking. They are yeah. intentionally trampling on the truth. And that's what Romans 1 tells us, that they have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And so there's a point where it's not going to do a lot of good. One of the ways that we can witness to people like that is instead of focusing on their sin, is to yes. focus on what Christ has done for us. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, Revelations 12. One of the ways that my parents actually were a witness to me, for years they had tried to fix me. They were always focused on what I was doing wrong. But um, when they really began to focus more on the Lord, they just started talking about what Jesus was doing in their life. And it wasn't this. They weren't pushing me. They weren't. I didn't feel like this was always some sermon at me. They were so in love with Christ that it just began to flow out of them. And it became so much a part of who they were. And so they just exalted Christ. You know, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And I've seen that so true. So if we focus on people's sin and everything they're doing wrong, you know, it doesn't do a lot of good. But I will tell you, too, that's what John the Baptist did. You know, that's what Jesus did sometimes. There is a time for that. And if the Lord prompts you to, there's absolutely a time. Sometimes even Jude talks about how um, some saved by Fear, I'm paraphrasing yeah. a bit, but um, some yes. say by love, in other words, and really being kind and compassionate, but some say by fear, snatching them out of the fire. Well, we all, we need the fear of the Lord more in the church. Yes. It, it's really mm. been absent from the church. There's no fear of mm. God. There's no fear of sin. There's no, um, so there is a place for that, but it does have to it's be the beginning with, of wisdom. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But we need, we do need to have compassion and love. But a lot of times, I think what happens is we let the world define what love is. Yeah. You know, Jesus was not just a loving person. He was the very source of love himself. And it got, yeah. you know, his love got him nailed to a cross. They hated him and they rejected him. We're, the reality is we're never going to be loving enough for the world to love us. I think there's a problem right now in the in the church of wanting so desperately for the world to love us. And we have this idolatry of mm. wanting the world to say how loving we are. You know, we want to be the most loving people out there. But the reality is that sometimes... By their definition. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah, by their definition. But what they want is for people to uh, celebrate and affirm their sin and let them go do whatever they want, just like a child. So we need to be secure in what how God loves. And that Mm. is by serving. You know, he came to serve, not to be served. And then, um, but speaking the truth in love by being long-suffering with people, um, and patient, but affirming the truth over them. One of the best examples I have, this was, I can't remember whose testimony it was. It was one I saw on CBN, this girl who she had gone to a church and she was living as trans and um, she was, they're kind of on a dare. I think somebody, she didn't want to be there, but somebody I think had right. dared her to go and she's wow. sitting there all tough, you know, with her arms crossed and um, the pastor noticed her and he impelled by the Holy Spirit. He called her up to the front of the church and she thought, great, you know, here it is. He's going to tell me to get out of here and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, this is just going to prove how hateful Christians are. 
And he wrapped her in the biggest bear hug and just held tightly to her to she, where she couldn't get out. And he began to speak the truth over her. And he said, began to say, you are a beautiful daughter of God. And just began to affirm the truth over her. The last thing people would tell you to do. But um, she was stunned. And I remember she, like in the video, she's kind of like backing up like, wow, I don't, um, you know. And she walked out. And that's the last he knew of it for a long time. As far as he knew, he completely failed. You know, she just walked out. But it had a profound impact on her. And about six months later, she got saved. And she really credits him with being willing to speak the truth that she didn't want to hear. So there's a time and a place, but I think it's all about listening to the Holy Spirit. But for those that are really struggling and they're they're genuinely, they've come to the Lord and they want to be free, um, but they just don't know how. A lot of times they need counseling. They really need um, somebody to walk through some of these issues. Why have they felt this way? Because there's almost always a, a root cause. This is almost always based in rejection in lies they believed about themselves, jealousy of siblings. There's a lot of things it could be, but there is some sort of reason for this. And people don't like that. They want to believe they're born that way and they can't ever overcome it. And that's just who they are because it's easier. Yeah. It's easier to stay where you are at that moment, even if it's painful. Yeah. But the more that we can die to ourselves, the more that our identity becomes in Christ and not in our flesh, Because we're commanded over and over in the word to walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. We're to die to ourselves. And one of my favorite verses in Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Mm. You know, and I think that's the crux of all of this is that this is about Christ. But we don't understand the life that God has for us is so much better than the life we could ever make for ourselves. And he promises us um, that we will be co-heirs with Christ in an eternal kingdom. I mean, it's like if people could get a vision for what God has for us, the devil's trying to sell such a cheap counterfeit. But what God has is mind-blowing, even in this life. But we're only seeing a tiny fraction now of what he has for us to come. Amen. A final question, and that's sort of what, what is your relationship with your parents and your family and, and some of your friends and an ex-partner? How do those look today? Um, my parents and I have an amazing relationship now. God has really restored and redeemed it so much. Um, there's a verse in Joel 2.20 that says um, that God will restore the years the locust has eaten. And that's really what he's done. And he has redeemed everything. I talk to my parents all the time now. I love spending time with them. And I really don't have much relationship with the people I knew in the community. But I had been estranged for them the last seven or so years of the the journey. Um, I've tried to write to some of them again, and they've just never responded. But I just pray that one day it's going to have an impact. And, you know, they've at least heard that somebody has come out of this and that it's come to Christ. And then my ex-partner he eventually left the lifestyle as well. And he came to Christ. I don't know. I don't know quite where he stands. He didn't have sort of the radical on fire transformation that I did, but I know the Lord was really working on him. He'd always tell me, he was like, Oh, I just don't wear it on my sleeve. Like you did. That's what he always said. But then one day he told me that, um, he had been, um, witnessing to his boss. So I was like, wow, you know, so, uh, the Lord was certainly working on him. And, uh, so I don't know. It's just been an incredible journey to seeing, lives transformed. And there've been people just to encourage people. I've had a couple of people that told me that I was wrong and I was so hateful and and God was okay with them being trans. And they came back to me a year later and were like, no, uh, God has shown me who I really am. And it was funny because that one particular person I'm thinking of, he didn't um, give me any kind of credit or anything. Not that I needed it. It was just funny. It was like he'd forgotten everything that I had been telling him. And he was like, God showed me who I really am. And he spoke that it was my name that like, this is who I am, you know, and all this. And I was like, the Lord was speaking through you. Right. It's all about Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to people. Yeah. He must increase. I must decrease. Yes, absolutely. a challenge, but that's part of the dying to self, yeah. right? I mean, we, we want to put ourselves on the pedestal. Right. We want to be the center right. of our own story, and it's not. It's right. not the case. And yet, as you so eloquently said, we have the privilege of being part of the glory that Christ, yes. you know, in his glorification at the end of days, we get to uh, enjoy that for our own benefit, which is, uh, it's a picture we don't hear described well 
right. these days. Well, Laura Perry, just one final question for you. And this is a, a question that we ask uh, uh, nearly all of our guests. And that's, you know, we come to that final day of glorification and, and a resurrected body and you're standing before Christ. What's one question that you would have? Actually, I haven't really thought about this. Uh, I, I mean, I just picture myself just falling in his feet. I just, I can't wait to to see my Redeemer and the God. Lord. Like, I guess I've thought about some questions over the years, but it all just pales in comparison to yeah. being in his presence. Yes. Like, I just want to be with him. I don't know what I would ask him, but um, I think more about what will my reaction be? Will I, like yeah. the song says, you know, will I fall on my face? Will I dance? Yeah. Will I shout for glory? You know, I don't know. It's a good answer. Yeah. No, it's a, most people, that is the initial reaction yeah. is, um, I'm not even thinking about a question. Right. I'm just going to be so awed. Yeah. Um, and I think even even our our concept of what our all will look like will still pale in comparison to the reality, right? Like to when yeah. it really happens, we'll be almost like Isaiah, unclean lips, right. and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Right. But um, anyway, Laura Perry, we are so grateful. We'll be praying for uh, your work and ministry as uh, you do this very worthy and wonderful uh, ministry that God has called you to. And uh, we're just so grateful that you were able to take some time to talk with us on Candid Conversations. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a privilege. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.